Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're looking at a series out of the book of Psalms. We've gone through several Psalms, and now we're up to Psalms 100 as I'm picking and choosing several different psalms out of the 150 psalms we have in the Bible, the psalms represent a particular attitude, and that attitude is a desire for God, an attitude that has a uh, definite passion for the Lord, and out of the psalms comes many of our prayers, many of our songs, many of the ways that we cry out to God ourselves. It's devotional. Uh, The words are identifiable In our own life, as we begin to go through things, we turn to the Psalms and we can easily read almost any of the Psalms and find something that would apply to our life. And Psalms 100 would be the particular Psalm that we're looking at this morning. The Psalm is called uh, a Psalm that brings us to serve the Lord with gladness. Here's some of the titles that you want to write down maybe next to your Psalm uh, in your Bible there, there. But here are some of the titles that are used to describe this Psalm. Uh, Serve the Lord with gladness, exalt God, psalm for thanksgiving, hymn of praise, invitation to praise God, singing the song of praise. These are some of the different titles that people would try to attach to this psalm to say, this is what this psalm is about. This psalm is about serving the Lord with gladness. Actually, that's the result of this psalm. Exalting God with our praise. It's a psalm of thanks offering or thanksgiving. That word is important in the psalm, as you'll see in a moment. It's a hymn of praise. It's also an invitation to praise, and it's singing the song of praise. Now, I could choose a number of different psalms to speak about praise, to speak about an invitation to praise, exalting God with praise. This is one of the most simple and straightforward psalms about our worship than any psalm you could read in the Bible. And so we're going to take from that few keys, few of the verses, and go through it. Psalms 100. The psalm instructs us to be wholehearted worshipers, who worship God with passion, using our voice and actions, freely pouring out our praise and worship with deep affection, and love for God, serving God with gladness. So this psalm is going to deal with specifically that one area of our life, our worship spirit, the worship depth that we have, the way that we bring ourselves into worship and why we worship. What does worship really accomplish in our life, more than singing songs, where does worship come from? It comes from a particular place in our relationship with God. Psalms 100, I'm going to read it. It's on the slide. It's out of the uh, message translation. I'm also going to read it out of the New King James. But I think the message translation, again, uh, really brings a different slant to looking at the psalm. Eugene Peterson says, translation would sound like this in his mind. He's a good linguistics man, studies the original languages, and he he writes from a very uh, modern vernacular, but he always seems to nail exactly what's in the words of the psalm. This is what he says, on your feet now, applaud God, bring a gift of laughter, sing yourselves into his presence. Stop right there. How many of you would agree with me that right now in our present life and situation, For someone to have the gift of laughter would be a great thing. There's a lot of people that have the gift of murmuring and the gift of criticism and the gift of negativism and the gift of 
depression and the gift, if you want to call them gifts, uh, and they can bring to the table a lot of stuff and tell you everything that's wrong. I don't need someone to tell me all the things that's wrong, what's happening, how they feel. And even though they're going through it in their own life, we all are going through different phases of whatever to handle life right now. What you need is somebody that has the capacity to laugh a little bit to actually bring some joy to your mind and just laugh at the devil, laugh at life, laugh at yourself, laugh at God and with God and just say, you know what? I choose to laugh at what man is doing around me because I know the Lord is in control. It's a gift that I bring to the Lord and I can laugh with him. And so we're all going to laugh. Are you ready? (laughs) See, you feel better already. You gotta feel better already. Just to laugh a little bit. We don't need to always have our glass half empty and our face look like we're sucking on lemons all the time. It's a good time in life to smile a little bit and laugh a little bit and tell your spirit, oh, by the way, we serve a living God. And by the way, even if I worry my life to death, It doesn't change a thing, so I might as well just laugh at life and enjoy what's coming my way because I know the Lord's going to help me. Worship helps you to laugh a little better. It gets some things out of your spirit that damage you and push you into thinking wrong. And when that happens, your laughter will leave, your joy will leave. And so here in the psalm, it says that you can bring a gift of laughter, gladness into your life and gladness into other people's lives because you understand the position God has in your life. So he says, bring a gift of laughter. Come on, turn to your neighbor right now and just say, smile a little more. Come on, just smile a little more. All right? Sing yourselves into his presence. Know this. God is God. And God, God. He made us. We didn't make him. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's really good news. We didn't make him. Think what kind of a God we would make if we made him. And in our own mind, we make God over all the time. Extreme makeovers with our vain philosophies about what we think God is. We try to make him into something he's not. We cannot make him. He makes us. He doesn't change. He is God. He made us. We didn't make him. We're his people. His well-tended sheep. Enter with the password. Thank you. Sounds like a parent talking to the kid, doesn't it? You want the keys? Want the credit card? Want the money? You want? Say it. Come on, say it. Thank you. Nope, not good enough. Say it bigger. Say it louder. All right, Dad. Thank you. No, not a little hug, a little kiss. And say it one more time. Thank you. And just say it one big more time. Thank you, Dad. God deserves a thank you once in a while. For all the stuff he already has done. Not everything he's going to do. But everything he has done, come on, everyone, say a big. One more time. Now say it with a smile. I mean, it's a, it's a life that realizes everything I have is already out of his goodness and grace. So I enter with the password, the password. Thank you. Make yourselves at home. Talk in praise. Thank him. Worship him, for God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal always and ever. Psalms 100, New King James, 
Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence. If you're underlining, Mark, in any key words, I would like you to underline or mark the first word of the first four verses. Make, circle, a joyful noise. Serve, circle, the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence. Circle the word presence. No, that's a great word in this psalm. No, it's a key to the whole worship experience. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people, sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Circle the word thanksgiving, thank offering. Same word used in Leviticus 7, verse 1. The whole aspect is brought here with the thank offering. What happened at the thank offering in Leviticus 7 will happen here when we worship. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. Circle the word good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. The invitation to praise God comes to four groups of people. Mark this down. Four groups of people that are invited to worship God. Number one, a believer. Number two, a follower. Number three, a lover. And number four, a wholehearted responder. Now, these are the four groups of people that always experience a worship encounter with God. A believer, a follower, a lover, and a wholehearted responder. In order to have a true worship experience, according to the Bible, the scriptures, just laying the scriptures into our life, you cannot worship God unless you are born again. Now, you can sing songs about God, you can acknowledge God, but you cannot encounter the spirit of worship unless you have a born-again spirit. In John chapter 4, when Jesus himself begins to teach on worship, He was talking to people that were coming to a particular mountain, doing the sacrifices, carrying on. He says, that's not really what worship is. He said, worship is when you come and worship the Father in spirit and truth. You have to know that God is spirit, and he's seeking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, you cannot encounter God's spirit without a spirit that's born again in you. If your spirit is not open to the Holy Spirit, open to the God spirit, open to God himself, your worship encounter is about God, not with God. Worship is to be with God and through God. Worship is in the spirit. Worship is something that comes from the heart. Worship is something that happens inside of you because something inside of you is alive in God. And as you sing your songs with God and to God, there's a relational encounter that takes place. You cannot do that unless you're a believer. You can sing about him. You can sing a hymnal. You can read words on a slide. You can do whatever. But you will not encounter what I'm talking about, a worship experience. A worship experience is when your spirit locks into God's spirit. And that transformation begins to take place. The voice of the Holy Spirit comes in. God begins to speak and renew and revive and pour in and fresh anointing. And all the stuff that comes with the Spirit of God happens when your spirit encounters the Spirit of the living God in worship. Worship was never supposed to be emotional or mental only. It was supposed to be, first of all, spiritual. 
And you must be a believer to encounter that. You also must be a follower of God, one who pursues God with all of his heart, a lover of God, knowing how to put your affections out there to love God and worship, and then a responder to God. When God begins to move, you know how to respond. That's why the Bible teaches us things about worship that have to do with clapping and lifting and shouting and singing and kneeling and laying down on the floor or dancing before the Lord. There's all kinds of ways the Bible talks about worship. Why? Because when the Spirit of God moves upon us, we have to have the ability, the capacity, the knowledge to respond to God. If there is a Holy Spirit movement in our worship and in your own worship as an individual that brings you to your knees, that's your response. It could be a response of repentance, a response of joy, a response of clap, a response of lift, a response of acknowledgement, a responding to God. Worship. It's supposed to be an awesome time for you to respond to God. If God is dealing with your heart because you have a hard heart, you respond to God. The Holy Spirit begins to deal with you and you respond to God with words and prayers and whatever it takes to soften your heart. If there's sin in your life and as you begin to worship the Lord, the Lord says, leave your gift at the altar and go take care of that problem. You leave it there and you take care of the problem right there under the blood of the cross and you ask forgiveness. You cleanse your spirit. Psalm 51, you get into the presence of God. Worship is a time to respond. It's not a time just to go through business as usual and sing songs that you can watch the words go by or like the rhythm of the band. Worship is a time for you and I to respond to God. And when you respond to God, something begins to change in your life. That's why it says we're changed in his presence by the glory of God every time we worship because something is changing in our life. When you worship, you acknowledge who you worship in a way that you understand from the scripture that deepens your worship. Six things you acknowledge every time you come to worship in this psalm. One, acknowledge that he is God. He is God. Know that the Lord, verse three, know that the Lord, he is God. Notice he uses both terms, the Lord and he is God. He uses the two main Hebrew words, translated hundreds and hundreds of times in your Bible. When it says in Psalms 100 that he is Lord, that's the word Yahweh or the word Jehovah. Jehovah was not even used as a translation of any Bible in any Bible until about 1520. And it was debated then. Yahweh was always the word that was translated from this word Jehovah that we now use so much. But it's actually that word, I am that I am from Exodus chapter 3. That's the Yahweh word. And so the psalmist says, know that he is Yahweh, Jehovah. And that he is God, Elohim. Mark that in your Bible. Know he is Lord, is Yahweh. He is God, is Elohim. To know he is Lord means to know that he will be all that he needs to be every time the occasion arises. That's what the word Jehovah means. He'll be everything you need every time the occasion arises. He's a God of covenant. He's the Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Jireh. He's the Jehovah God that comes and brings application of his presence to your life. And so when you worship the Lord, the psalmist says, know that he is Lord. And so when I worship, if I'm having a, a problem with my resource or a problem with my body with uh, sickness, or if I'm having a problem with something I can't conquer, or if there's something that is in my mind I can't get off, I come to the Lord and worship, and I know that he is Lord. He is what? He is Jehovah Nissi. He's my victory. He is more than able to understand my problem, and he is my conqueror. I am more than a conqueror in Christ. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's my 
provider. I should not worry like this. I need to release this into my worship. He is my resource. He's, he is my Jehovah Rea. He's my shepherd. He's my Jehovah Rapha. He's my healer. And as you come into worship, you know that he is Lord and he's Elohim. The word Elohim there, no, he is Lord and he is God. The word Elohim means mighty one, capable of all. He's the mighty one. So how could you not have a great worship experience, if you came in with a clear mind saying, I know that you're Jehovah, my Lord, my provider, my healer, my conqueror, my victory, my banner over my life. I know that you're Elohim. You are the God who has always been, who will always be. You are mighty. You're capable. There's nothing impossible for you. How could you ever let your hands hang down and let your mind be filled with doubt and worry and be beat down in life if you know the God God, you worship. If that is in your spirit, your worship experience goes up. He is God. Number two, he's our maker. Know the Lord. He's our maker. We didn't make ourselves, which means him being our maker. He can do an extreme makeover in our life at any point. There's nothing you have to live with you can't get rid of. There's nothing in you that cannot change. There's nothing about you that God cannot start this very moment to change in your life. You never have to sit back and say, it's over. I'm just going to have to deal with this thing that I have and I can't change it. And I've been with it so long and I have this problem so long. And my marriage has been 20 years bad. And, you know, this is 20 years bad and 10 years bad and 50 years habit. And this mindset I have and, you know, it comes out of my family tree. It doesn't matter. He's the Lord, your maker. Wherever you are in life, whatever you're going through, whatever you face about yourself, you need to lift it up in your worship and say, and God, you are the extreme makeover God, and I need another makeover. I'm not finished yet. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Number three, he's your shepherd. That means he's going to take care of you. He's going to fight off the wolves and the problems. He's going to, he's going to lead you in the green pastures. Number four, remember he is good. The Bible is filled with this description about God because he is good. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see the Lord is good. His name is good. His ways are good. His provision is good. His thoughts are good. He's a good God. He thinks good things about you. He's not trying to harm. He will not give up on you. He is good. Number five, he is merciful, which means his love cannot fail. He cannot fail you. He is unfailing in his love, unfailing in his mercy. He cannot fail in how he loves you. He cannot fail in how he brings his mercy to apply to your life and your situation. He is merciful, meaning he's full of all the mercies you will ever need. He's full of all the second chances you will ever need. He never runs out of mercy. He is merciful, F-U-L-L, merciful. He is full of that mercy. It's his nature. He touches people with that mercy. That's how God does it. He's a God of awesome mercy. Number six, his truth endures. So as I move into the truth of God, into his word, it's steadfast, faithful to his promises. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. Whatever the word says, I'm going to sing out. I'm going to praise out. I'm going to bring it to his attention. I'm going to quote it. I'm going to declare it because his truth endures. He is faithful. He is dependable. 
God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I asked or think. His promises are true. He cannot lie. He cannot change. His word I can build on. So no matter what happens with the newspaper or the news or what other people say to you or your own mind lies to you sometime, come back to the word, open the word, renew your mind. And when it comes time for worship, worship around the word of God. Can I hear an amen? His word is true. Now, Look at verse 1, 2, and 4 and put them together. Giving our praise to God. How do we do that? Psalms 100 says, Make a joyful shout. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence. Sing. Give thanksgiving. Enter His courts. It's all about worship. All about singing our praise. Come before His presence with singing. Ephesians 5, 19. There are three descriptions of worship pieces in the Bible, especially in this one verse. Brings it together in a categorical way that you can understand it. Ephesians 5.19, it says that we have psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Ephesians 5.19. Speaking to one another in psalms, which are what? Songs of praise from Scripture. Hymns. What are hymns? Songs of praise of human composition. Songs of praise from Scripture, not only are there written 150 psalms, But there can be other songs written from the scripture that have the same spirit of the psalms. But the psalm, the idea there that he brings out in Ephesians that the songs from scripture need to be sung. And then there's hymns. This is Bible definition. Bible brings up hymns before there was ever a hymnal, before there was ever a Baptist church that's known for its hymns, or a Methodist hymnal that's known for its hymnal, and all the hymnals you can go. Before there was ever a hymnal, there was a book of Ephesians that says, by the way, there should be hymns in the church. Hymns are songs written of human composition on biblical themes directed toward people. Not just directed toward God. It's not songs of praise. It's not taken from the psalm just to sing them back to God. Hymns take people's experience, put them into words so that we can sing about God's faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. New every morning. Oh, for a thousand tongues we sing. Our Lord Redeemer lives. And so we have all these hymns that talk about God's great work in our life. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When Charles Wesley was born again, he became the song hymn writer for John Wesley, his brother, who was the great revivalist, the founder of the Methodist denomination. When Charles Wesley was born again, the first year, year number one, 12 months after he got saved, he wrote his first hymn. Oh, for a thousand tongues we sing, which has been around now for 500 years. It's one of the most awesome worded hymns. He did it as a one-year-old Christian. While his pen was so filled with the Holy Spirit, he went on to write 6,000. 6,000. Many that the churches sing still today. He was a hymn machine, a hymn writer. He brought the words of the people so they could sing about God. We have hymn writers in our modern day. I think Jack Hayford's song, Majesty, would be a hymn. I think Michael W. Smith and some of the songs he has written are more like hymns. The Hallelujah Chorus and some of these are like hymns. They put into words things we can sing about what God's doing in our life and lift up the name of God. They are great hymns. The Bible says sing psalms, all right? From the scripture, I'll do that. Hymns. I will. Then the third phrase is spiritual songs. 
Remember, this is the Bible division of worship, not mine or anyone else's. It's just what Scripture says. Psalms, no problem. Hymns, no problem. What are spiritual songs? Songs of praise of a spontaneous or unpremeditated nature with unrehearsed melodies sung under the unction of the Holy We welcome His grace, His Spirit to begin to flow in our words and our minds and our hearts. This is a different kind of worship. It's not a worship where I read Psalms 133 and sing it. It's not the kind of worship where I take one of the hymns, Amazing Grace, and sing it, which can be a very uplifting part of my worship service. But this word, spiritual songs, is a word that describes something that takes place in you and I that is a little different. It's not because Pentecostals teach this or charismatics are certain kinds of spirit-filled churches or certain kinds. Forget all the labels that you might know and say, well, the denominations, they, they worship with hymnals and then uh, certain other kind of people, they worship with, you know, these kind of songs and, and these, uh, you know, these people over here, they do this lifting of hands and they sing out their praise songs. But that's kind of a charismatic thing. I beg to differ with you 100% biblically. It has nothing to do with being Pentecostal, charismatic, or denominational. It has everything to do with just being biblical. There's a place to sing in the spirits. And this verse along with another one I'm going to quote right now. Put it down so you can talk to your friends and talk to yourself about how to worship with a spontaneous praise, something that is a little different. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15, Paul deals with this very specifically. He says, I will pray with the Spirit, but I will pray also with my understanding. Now notice what he does. And I will sing, this is in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 15. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding. So Paul, in chapter 14, dealing with prophecy and tongues. Chapter 12, he dealt with the nine gifts of the Spirit. Then he goes on in chapter 13 to make sure he says to you, don't forget, love is still the most powerful gift you can ever use. And if you have all the gifts, you don't have love. You're just like a clanging symbol. So he slips that in. Then he goes right back to chapter 14 and says, Now, let me teach you about prophecy. Prophecy edifies the church. Prophecy exhorts people. Let me teach you about prayer and about tongues. Let me talk to you about this thing that can be misused sometimes. Uh, this thing called tongues, again, which is kind of slid over now to only being Pentecostal or charismatic. But Paul doesn't know those two words. He's just talking to the church. And the church is dealing with doctrine. So he's not splitting the church up into denominations. He's saying, now look, at when you pray, you can pray with understanding. That is, you can articulate what's in your intellect with great reasoning and sound exactly like you should if you were conversing with another human being. It's with understanding. There's no obscurity to it. There's nothing hidden in your language. You just say it. But he says, I can also pray with spirit. Well, does that mean you can't pray with your own language and not have spirit? No, but there must be something different. Paul says, and he says, and I will sing with understanding, and I will sing with spirit. Well, I would just go directly to the Greek word myself. I don't go to the commentaries first. I don't go to Matthew Henry or Hendrickson or any of the hundred commentaries I might have or could go to to research what they say about this verse. My first research is always just to go to a word study 
Find out what the verse actually says in its original language. Try to find it in its actual context of culture and text, which is hermeneutically proper to do, is to go in and look at the the contextual definition, not only in that verse, but also what I just did for you in chapter 12, 13, and 14, but also in a larger one in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, uh, 12, 13, 14, but the whole book, Corinthians, and also then the whole New Testament, and then you, you keep going out with your circles. And so when I go to study this word, I have to ask myself the first question, what does Paul mean when he says, I will sing with the Spirit, so I do my work. With the Spirit means to sing with movement, of wind or breath of God. This verse would read, the movement or the blowing of the wind upon you, which is the the rea, the, the ruin in the Hebrew, but here is pneuma, where the Holy Spirit is spoken of as wind. Remember in John 3, Jesus goes through the whole wind thing that you can't see it, but you can feel it and all this. He's already identified. And now Paul uses it, says, now, when I sing with the Spirit, which is the breath, the wind, the movement of air blowing upon me, but it also means the wind that lifts me up. There's a, there's a draft. There's a wind that begins to lift me up as I begin to sing in the Spirit. And this is what I think this particular scripture means without fail that when we worship, there's a spiritual dimension to it. When we worship, there's a Holy Spirit activity to it. When we worship, there's a lifting of our heart, mind, soul, and emotions under God because the breath of the Holy Spirit begins to blow upon the worshiper. And as I sing with my understanding, I also sing in the Spirit or with the Spirit. And for me, that means I'm allowed to sing in my spiritual language. That is, I can speak in tongues in the worship service. It's not the gift of tongues that needs interpretation. It's the prayer language of tongues that edifies myself, edifies my spirit. And sometimes as I left, not that this verse would uh, limit me, but even the people that don't believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit in tongues is after the day of Pentecost. I forget about Acts 10 and Acts 18, but they just deal with Acts chapter 2. But really, 30, 40, 50 years later, it was still going on. But they say it stopped at Acts chapter 2. They still have to come back to this verse that was written way after the book of Acts. And they have to come back to Paul's 1 Corinthians 14, 15 say, oh yeah, that could give place to people using glossolalia, that's the word for tongue. That could give place for some people speaking in an unknown tongue, but probably their own language. Or, well, I, if I'm speaking English, I know my language, but they actually open the door and say, this verse does hint that they could have sung some of their worship in their own spiritual language or glossolalia, that they would have spoken in tongue during the worship service to sing with understanding and sing in the Spirit. But not just tongues, but a lifting of the Spirit in a worship service that allows you to open up and begin to flow in the Holy Spirit. If you've never had Holy Spirit breath and wind blow through you and lift you up in a worship service, you have not yet tapped into what God wants to do in your life with worship because worship should lift you up and blow through you in such a way that the Holy Spirit revives, renews, and speaks. And it's a spiritual encounter. Can I hear an amen? Now, did you get all... I know I'm talking kind of fast. Did you get all that? 
How many got what I just said? Okay. If you did, then write down these points. Our worship is what? Here we go. It's our personal song of praise. Because you can't have the wind blow through your spirit and sing a spiritual song of uh, spontaneous, unpremeditated. Pneumaticos is the word, you know, to sing out unless you have your own personal song of praise. In your heart, your voice, and your actions, freely giving this song of praise to God. Now, I want you to notice what I put here because this is a biblical phrase and I think it's a very important phrase. That you must break forth into a flow, something in you must break forth in order for worship to have a flow in your inner man. Something has to break. It says in Psalms 98, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Why does it say this? When this word is used other places to, to break forth through the enemy's camp and to break through the Red Sea and it's used. But here he picks it up and says, now you need to break forth in song. Rejoice and sing your praises. Now, the word break forth is what? The word break forth means to burst. The word break forth has the idea of breaking all the fetters and chains that binds or limits you and you break out. Break out. You extend enough energy to burst whatever the lid is, whatever the cap is, whatever it is that limits your voice. And I want to say this to everyone that's listening to me in this service. On all the campuses, wherever you are in your worship experience, there needs to come a bursting and a breaking forth in your song when you sing your praise to the Lord. There has to be a breaking out. You cannot just mutter or utter your words. You cannot just kind of, uh, you know, slip a few words in at worship or just kind of lightly go there. There's a time in your life where you have to just break into the worship service. You have to cast yourself into the Holy Spirit and you have to let that thing inside of you well up inside of you like an artesian well and just break out of you into a song of praise. And as the pressure of life comes on you, and as the pressures of doubts and unbelief and sickness and, and, and hurts and, and all kinds of other bondages try to get into your life, and we live in this world and the flesh and the devil's after us and all the stuff that happens, worship is a time for you to come in and take all that stuff and just push it up, push it out, and just throw it out of your spirit and just break out and say, Oh! God. And when that happens, something in you begins to break out as you just lift up and say, you're the everlasting God. You're the awesome God. I am under your hand. And Lord, I believe you're working all things for good. And I'm going to break out of this depression or this bondage or this limitation or this cloud that's over me or just a spiritual, uh, you know, disorientation that comes over me, whatever it might be. You have to just bring your praise up and you have to break out. Break out. And when you begin to break out, the energy begins to surface in your spirit. Something begins to flow. We call it bursting the bands. 
that limit your mouth. Some people burst and break out more at their pet than they do God. Some people will yell and have emotion at a driver on a freeway or some other situation at a sports game. I've seen parents come off the field and tackle a referee at a soccer game. I would call that breaking out. I've been in games with my son in basketball. I've seen referees and coaches do things that are unfathomable for the human to do, that they would embarrass themselves that much, that they would break out and scream at the ref and scream at other people and just break out. And then when you meet them, they're kind of quite the normal person. But they had a moment of breaking out. I would like you to get abnormal sometimes in the worship service and break out a little bit with a shout to the Lord and a shout at the devil and a shout at life and bring all the pressures up and just get them out there and just say, I'm going to serve the Lord with gladness. Sometimes you have to do that. Got to break out. We would call it coming out of the closet. Number two. Your personal song of praise is your own new song. This is what the Bible says about your praise. It's a new song. Birth in our heart, song out as our own words. New. A new song. Sing to him a new song. Psalm 33, 3. Psalm 40, verse 3. He has put a new song in my mouth. The word new there. I don't know if I ever used this definition before that I just saw it in this particular verse. Psalms 40, you put a new song on my mouth. But the word new there means what was not there before, what was only at that point given, it has just arisen and appeared on you. It's new, never been there before. It just is arising out of the circumstance right now. It's never been. Every time you come to a worship service, whether it's private devotion or corporate gathering, you have the advantage on the enemy and on your own soul to sing a new song, something that's not been there before. You walked into the services today and you have some things this week that haven't been there before. Maybe there's some things in your life that haven't been there before, some thoughts you haven't got that haven't been there before, or some experience. I want you to know that when you go through life, you lift up those things that you're going through as a new song to turn it into praise, to turn it into an offering to God, into a sacrifice of God. If you have something going on in your body that is new, that wasn't there before, you bring that as a time of worship. Say, oh God, in my body is stuff going on, but Lord, you're my healer. And oh God, I worship you today. You bring your own new song out of what's going on new in your life. Whether it's a new problem or a new answer, it's still new. You bring your own new song. Number three, a personal song of praise is given as spiritual sacrifice. That creates a place for God's presence to manifest. Famous scripture. Psalm 22.3. For you are holy enthroned praises of Israel. The word enthroned is not really used for throne. Although I've used, I've heard people use this verse forever about the enthronement of God and God putting there. It's not the word throne at all. Not used for throne. It's not used for any other time in the Bible to talk about any king's throne. The word enthronement is the Hebrew word 
for having someone come into your house and sit down. It means sit down. It means be seated. That's what it means. Doesn't mean throne like, you know, majesty, king, enthroned. It's, it's seated. It's a family term. It's a friendly term. It's a communal term. It's a term that has relationship to it. It's a term used in the Bible all the way through about people coming in and sitting down before someone or being at home with someone. When someone comes to the door and they're standing there, if you say to them, well, why don't you just come on in and be seated and let's have a cup of coffee. You're saying to them, I love to speak with you. I like your presence. You're not a nuisance to me. I don't want you standing at the door. I want you to come into my life, into my world, and I want you to sit down. Talk with me right now. When we praise God, it says, you're holy and thrown in the praises of Israel. It simply means as you begin to praise God, God begins to sit more comfortably into your life. He makes himself at home. He begins to talk with you as family. He abides, he inhabits, he stays there. Number four, your song of praise is given with your singing of praise with the lifting of hands. Lifting of hands is not a Pentecostal thing. Not a charismatic. It is a biblical. Lifting of hands is not because some people are more radical than others and that's what they do. Lifting of hands is what the Bible says we do when we bring our praise to him. Two words used in your Bible. One is Toda and the other one is Yada. Both of these two Hebrew words. Say it so plainly. Listen, listen to the scriptures. If you're taking scriptures, then I'll tell you the word. Psalm 28, verse 2. Hear the voice of my supplication when I cry, when I lift up my hands in your sanctuary. Psalms 134, verse 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Psalm 63, 4. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Psalms 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. 1 Timothy 2, 8. Lifting up holy hands. The word toda and the word yada used for praise and used throughout the Old Testament scripture. And then in New Testament, we have two different words. It simply means to extend the hands as you give a sacrifice of praise. It means one one person defining this word says it means to throw your hand out there. It means to stand your position of surrender. Lifting of hands is the way you make a vow to God. Lifting of hands is a way you say, Lord, I partner with you. Receive my sacrifice. Receive my praise. So lifting of hands is a biblical response to the presence. God. Number five, our personal song of praise is for God. We worship him and him alone, and our desire is to please God. We worship him and him alone. We're not trying to please someone on either side of us. We're not trying to look cool. We're not trying to uh, just please human eyes or uh, worship. For the audience of one, worship is to please God. Worship is you developing that root in your spirit to draw in that presence and that reviving and that refocusing that only God can give. Worship is supposed to be 
a heartfelt spiritual encounter with people that are not lazy when it comes to worship. And our church is not lazy. Or it's not, that's not for me. Don't let that be on your mind because that would be wrong response. If it's for me, it's for you. If it's Bible. Which means when you come to worship, you can't spectate. You can't watch. You can't let your hands hang down and never clap and never sing and never focus and never declare, never draw in, never encounter God. Or you will come in the same way you go out. There will be no change, no transformation, no refueling, no refocusing, no inspiring thought for the day or the life that you're living. You just attend church. You're not a church attender. You're a worshiper. You're a priest of the living God. You're a person declaring the goodness of the Lord over you and your life and your friends and your family. And you're drawn in the strength of God every time. Worship. 